Welcome to the Cafe Stop. We have a very special double shot, double feature for you guys today. Um, a pair of siblings with way too many accolades between them to, to name, but I'll just toss out a few. Uh, she is a Laverne Stage Race winner, a Cape Epic TT winner, a Nations Cup Team Pursuit podium finisher on the track, a multi-time Joe Martin podium finish for her fourth place at U.S. Nationals, all that in the USAC certified coach. Um, and he is a 12th place finisher at the Tour of France last year and recently uh, has a pair of top 10 finishes this year at Milan San Remo and Paris Nice, as well as a GC finish uh, at Etoile de Bessige. And the only American to be named uh, to the list of top 25 best riders in the world. Wow, um, I'm out of breath. Welcome to uh, the show. DNA is Pro Cycling Shayna Palace and EF Education Easy Post Nielsen Palace. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for taking the time. Um, uh, I have to say, too, before uh, we go any further, um, uh, Nielsen, you just announced yesterday you're going to be a dad. <laughs> so <laughs> huge, huge uh, congratulations on that, Shane. You're going to be an aunt. Very, very cool um, and uh, very you. exciting. Congrats yeah, we're very excited. To you guys. Yeah. So excited. Uh, yeah. That- <laughs> Yeah, that's no, that's amazing news, and uh, yeah, yeah, very, very cool. Um, we'll talk more about family uh, in a little bit, so uh, stay tuned uh, for in a few minutes. But uh, maybe some endurance sport, or maybe some dancing in that little one's future. Uh, <laughs> maybe even some football. I know I saw Ellie's excited uh, for his uncle duty as well. So uh, uh, yeah, don't don't mess with that kid too if you see yeah. him. Her, her have, uncle, uh, his plenty of professional. Uh, <laughs> mentors to look to for various sports so <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm to say the sure least, there'll be some course. athletic uh athletic <laughs> pursuit in its future <laughs> yeah no question <laughs> um and also uh you know we chatted nielsen with your teammate uh, alex house or former teammate cool um and he said that uh dad watts uh aren't a thing but i think you might be proving them wrong with the start to this season. Maybe an early start on the dad watts. Yeah, no, the the early season. Uh, well, I found out uh, that Francis, my wife, was pregnant uh, right like a week before my first race, and uh, it oh, wow. yeah, definitely just uh, gave me a little bit of extra juice. I was like so motivated for every race I've started now. Yeah. <laughs> so the secrets out. We we know the the extra motivation there to kick exactly. off exactly. This year for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, no, no, congrats on then. That's that's Thank amazing. You. Yeah. Um, on that note, I think um you're gonna lead a need a lot more coffee come October. Um yeah. so in the spirit of uh the cafe stop, um, you know, Shana, you turned us on to uh Southern Grounds in Jacksonville, Florida. Um mm-hmm. which uh yeah, we'll, we'll definitely link um them because they're at Southern Grounds Co on Instagram and Southern Grounds Co- or southerngrounds.com. Um, and Nielsen, we uh, you couldn't pick between two of them, but we we went with uh, Marinette uh, in Nice, France. And uh, <laughs> I saw when I checked them out, um, I saw Hugo Hull, a, f- a fellow Canadian, followed them. So I was like, we'll go with this one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a it's a uh, good one. They always have like really delicious cakes too, which goes well oh, with coffee yeah. always. Of course, yeah, yeah, and definitely a necessity at the cafe. I there, I it was just scrolling through last night actually, it made me. Uh, very very hungry when i was getting ready for bed <laughs> <laughs> um uh no yeah thank you thank you guys for that uh shout out to them for for um getting us powered and through today um and marinette is is at marinette on instagram and uh restaurant marinette.fr online and of course like i said we'll link all that and we'll link you guys as well you guys kept it uh very very simple professional i like it on instagram with the at shana palace at nielsen palace <laughs> can't go wrong <laughs> check them out and and follow along uh, now we've got all the formalities out of the way, uh, we like to kick off the show with a little hypothetical question. Um, hypothetical because I'm not letting either of you see me in Lycra. Um, but if we were ever out riding with you guys um, and there was a there was a sprint to the cafe stop, obviously you're going to beat us. What are we ordering you at the cafe? Cafe stop order is probably flat white with uh, cake on the side, some kind of banana bread or a scone. Oh, yeah. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Yeah. How are you going to top that? Mine is probably just a chai or a matcha latte with oat milk and then 
any kind of pastry or any kind of croissant, almond chocolate croissant, anything like that. I, I can get on board with uh, latte, um, but not the matcha. I just can't get on with matcha. It's I think it's the it's the color that turns me off every time. Oh, I love the <laughs> tea drinker. I don't drink coffee much, so he is my go-to. Oh, okay. And matcha is a, a good amount of green tea and has a little bit of caffeine, so that's my go-to. Or chai, but that's black tea. Chai's good. I can get on board with that too. Um, Mike and I, uh, we both agree on the oat milk too. That's that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Can't no matter how many people ridicule us for it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's it's so popular now. I feel like it, most people I know are just totally in love with oat milk. I love it. It's my new favorite. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of places nearby that don't offer, or they offer oat milk as standard. And then, um, yeah, the, the, the regular regular cow milk which sounds horrible to say um they just come up with a better way of cooling it now that we have oat milk as a standard but that that's the that's the added extra that you have to pay for now yeah i don't mind regular milk also but yeah now that i've tried it i can't get away from it (laughs) i was at a cafe like the other day i saw like the have the section where you can add your milk or sugar cream or whatever and i saw for the first time like an oat milk carafe there uh, that you can pour your own oat milk, which I thought was, uh, you know, it's pretty expensive. They're letting people just pour that themselves, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of dangerous. <laughs> um, awesome. Awesome. Thanks guys. Yeah. No, um, always curious what people order at the cafe. Um, you guys probably be done by the time, uh, you know, we ever get there, probably be gone by the time we get there if we're ever riding together, but, uh, <laughs> at least we'll know if, uh, what you had before we get there. <laughs> um awesome so no first i um I, I want to ask you guys too what it was like growing up in such an athletic family um because it's it's pretty crazy i mean your mom is uh an olympic marathon rep runner um your dad represented um or sorry he was the uh served his country for over 20 years and six of those in special ops as well as being you know the winner of a u.s uh, air force athlete of the year um, and he's a seven-time Kona finisher, um, you know, plus all this crazy, you know, Xterra triathlons and all that kind of thing. So, uh, oh yeah, not to mention being a member of the North American Indigenous Athletic Hall of Fame. So, and then on top of that, you guys have your incredibly impressive resume. So, uh, yeah, what was that? What was that like for you? Uh, just super fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was. Just like a family yeah. affair, so <laughs> it awesome. wasn't necessarily just like the athletics, but just being able to do something yeah. Yeah, yeah. as a family is like pretty special, and not every family gets to do. Uh, not every family like shares a passion with yeah. with every person involved. So um, it was just yeah, really nice to be able to do that growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. think that we were definitely very. Uh, blessed with having parents as athletic and as passionate about both Nielsen and I being athletic as well from a young age and they were super super supportive of every sport we wanted to try and not even just outside of sports like any extracurricular we wanted to dip our toes into whether it was like dancing singing um like acting we even got into um we got into acting a little bit like Broadway stuff so (laughs) yeah we've tried a lot of different things and I think that was all due to the fact that our parents were super adamant um, about us trying as many things as possible just to kind of help us figure out what what we wanted to to do I guess later on or just help us try and figure out like what sport we we enjoyed the most and um yeah, it was just a really great way to help our development in our early years. Yeah, yeah. It seems super well-rounded. I had no idea about that acting, but that's really cool, too. Maybe we'll see a family play or something uh, uh, down the road. <laughs> that, that, that career was uh, very, um, very short-lived. Were you guys um, <laughs> like competitive with each other growing up, too? <laughs> Last a couple years. <laughs> Right, for sure. Um, yeah, I think I saw Shana. You were uh, into triathlon and running to start out too, right? So, mm-hmm. like yeah, I we said, both really. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Nielsen and I, we did Iron Kids triathlons and like USA triathlons as juniors, and we did Xterra mountain bike triathlons. So we did we did kind of all of it. Wow, wow. that's crazy! Yeah, super super impressive. Um, and when it comes to like the two of you guys, did you ever, uh, you know, did it help you guys and push each other? Um, yeah, I don't think we necessarily other, competed or? a lot against each other because we always had, um, well, I guess in some of the local events, we would always be in the same race, but, um, they would always have men's and women's fields. And I was always in a lower age group than my sister. Um, but I guess just, Growing up training together, we definitely pushed each other and um, we're always trying to, I mean, yeah, my sister was always better than I was until I was about 15 or 15 or whenever you hit puberty and then I started to catch up. But um, yeah, for a long time, I was basically just chasing after my sister and um, yeah, we always just kind of did the same, the same stuff. So it was just really, really nice to have that. I don't know opportunity growing up just being outside every day um just exercising but not really feeling like it was exercise just feeling like you're going out and playing around having fun um and yeah i feel like that com- like competitive nature was always yeah. there um but yeah it was kind of hiding behind all the fun we were having yeah it was a healthy yeah. dose of competitiveness but yeah, we definitely yeah. motivate each other. We, we still do, I think, to this day. We'll motivate and inspire each other. Our respective careers. Yeah, nice. That's awesome. That's very cool. Um, for you guys too, when did it, um, like you said, it was a lot of fun. You tried a whole bunch of stuff um, and you were always, sounds like, really active and your whole family was active. But when, uh, for, for the both of you, did it really... Um, turn into a specific focus or passion for cycling itself? I guess for me, it was in the, when I was in high school, um, that's kind of where it really took off, just kind of doing the Marfa High School Mountain Bike League, uh, the night, competing in the Nike League um, in the NorCal division, and started doing really well in those races. Um, I mean, I'd always been into cycling before that, mostly because we had been triathletes for years before I even started high school and also all through high school. So I started racing in the high school league freshman year of college uh, in the varsity category and was doing really well. I think I was the first ever freshman to compete in the varsity category um, at the freshman level for both girls and guys. and yeah, being able to have success basically from freshman year and then through senior year and even when getting to win a couple uh, state titles was pretty awesome and very motivating for me and kind of helped get my name out there with uh, people like through USA Cycling. And then that kind of led to me getting invited to do a couple of USA Cycling uh, junior camps over in Europe. So I got to do that. And then just kind of one thing led to another from there. And then, yeah, I just ended up liking cycling more, specifically mountain biking more than any of the other sports I'd been doing at the time because I had also been doing cross-country running and track and field. Um, but mountain biking was always the sport that I gravitated towards and kind of did the best in. And so that just ended up being the sport that I wanted to focus on the most, and I stuck with it even after I graduated from high school and then competed in college at UCLA through the UCLA team in both road and mountain biking. And really in college, I would say, was where I kind of put all the other sports to the side and then just started focusing on cycling. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Yeah, and then for for me, it was basically the same trajectory. Um, Just doors opened up on on the bicycle faster than they did anywhere else, um, or at least more doors were opened there. Um, so I kind of followed my sister into the NICA background, raced high school mountain biking, and that just started opening up doors to race on the national team, uh, race in Europe, get my name out there in Europe. And then it was just kind of a snowball effect. 
um, before I realized it, I just had all these opportunities and I could start to see a pathway to become a professional in this sport. So, um, I just chased after it. And, um, obviously it takes a village to get to where we are today. Um, a lot of people helped me out for me and, um, mm-hmm. you know, made, helped make connections, but, um, yeah, at the end of the day, it was just cycling was, um, the thing I gravitated towards the most because it offered this exotic lifestyle of traveling the world and being able to do it as a, like compete for a living, which is pretty amazing. Awesome. Yeah, no, very cool. It definitely lends itself to, like you said, being able to see so many different places, um, both domestically and abroad and, um, you know, meet so many people and get to know the culture, uh, way more than any other sport. So yeah, yeah. Very cool. Um, on that note too. So obviously both of you racing uh, professionally and uh, at the top of your games right now, um, what is it like, um, now racing some of the biggest races in the world and competing at that level and inside the Peloton for you guys? Um, it's pretty cool. I mean, most of the racing I've done up until now has been primarily U.S. based. So of course, U.S. racing isn't quite as big as, um, the races over in Europe. Um, but I did luckily have the first opportunity to race on the road last year, last summer with USA cycling. And that was actually super eye-opening for me. I had raced in Europe in the past, but only for mountain biking, like World Cups for as a U23 in junior. Um, but getting to have that first experience on the road over in Europe last summer was, um, it was very eye-opening, but very motivating and humbling at the same time. And kind of getting that first experience over there kind of really motivated me to want to go back and do more racing. Um, which hopefully I'll get to do later on this summer. So I, I might get to do a similar block with, uh, with DNA this year. Um, and then potentially even with USA Cycling again. Um, but yeah, also getting to race internationally on the track has been <laughs> a very humbling yeah. experience as well. Um, I got to, I really got to do that last year a couple times um, for a couple of the Nations Cups, um, both in uh, Canada and Glasgow, UK last year. Um, and then hopefully we'll get to go back to do Glasgow uh, again this year for Super Worlds. Uh, but yeah, getting to you know do the Nations Cups. We just did um, a Nations Cup in Jakarta, Cairo a couple weeks ago, and racing with you know the best possible fields you can race against on the track has been very humbling and very motivating at the same time. So I love I love racing on the track. I'm still very new to it. Um, only have done four nation cups total i guess at this point but the more i do it and get to race at that level the more that you know it motivates me to get better and do more racing at that level awesome yeah yeah so stay tuned for some stuff maybe uh, more stuff to come on the track for you too and mm-hmm. uh, some more racing abroad yeah cool um nielsen what uh, what's your take on what it's like to be inside that peloton um for those of us who are only watching from the outside. I think we we're chatting with Phil Guyman and he said like, it looks terrifying when he watched racing on TV. He's like, holy shit, these people are going to die. Uh, <laughs> you guys do so many crazy things. It's so fast. And yeah, both on the track and on the road and the crazy small roads in Europe and all that. So what, what's your um, experience? Yeah. I mean, that? basically bouncing off of what Shana had said, it, it, it definitely took me a few years to get used to, um, the flow of races here because it's just completely different. Like just the infrastructure of the, the cities and um, the way they build roads here is a lot different. And obviously the talent is really, really high. Um, the depth of field is really deep here. So no matter how good of an athlete you are, it just, it takes time to get used to racing over here. Um, I feel like I'm finally reaching that point in my career where I feel very comfortable and um within my within my abilities to position um compete in whatever race i show up to uh whether it's a race in in belgium over cobblestone climbs or um in the alps in the tour de france i feel like i've sort of been able to 
figure out how to handle myself across all the terrains, but definitely took, took time to get to this point. Um, <laughs> there were some very low moments that I had, but, uh, luckily stuck it out and, um, yeah. And now I'm, you know, feeling like, uh, like I can, I can compete, uh, in whatever field I show up in, which is really uh, a nice feeling now as bike racing is so much fun when you're fit and at the front. Um, but it's, it's my least favorite thing in the world to race when I'm not at the front. <laughs> it's, it's really not a fun thing to, to, to not be fit at a bike race. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great. Um, now that I'm fit and, you know, kind of one of the protected riders at whatever race I go to, it's race bike racing is just, it's so much fun. Um, I just feel like a little kid again, just, uh, being able to compete and, um, just race my bike and have fun doing it now that I'm fit enough to enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And that is definitely something that ebbs and flows, but clearly, uh, you know, you two are definitely much more so in the prime of your careers and, uh, um, fitness is, is through the roof for you both clearly. And, um, Mike and I are on, uh, you know, the lower part of that correlation right now. And I definitely appreciate what you're saying about, uh, how, you know, fitness and fun with that strong <laughs> positive correlation in cycling. Um, but, uh, you, you got to go through the, uh, yeah the one part to get to the other. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah, very cool. You guys are an inspiration to to Mike and I. Let's say to, to, yeah. to hit it hard again. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I don't know if you two have ever spoken about this, but um, and I'm not sure the best way to to ask or answer this. But is there any major differences between the male and the female pro peloton? What are the uh, beyond being it male and female? What are the key differences? Like, is there anything that's weird about either one? Um. I mean, I guess maybe field maybe field sizes are a bit bigger on the men's side, uh, typically. At least, like in the states, you can definitely see big discrepancies between the men and women's field sizes. I think I don't really have as much experience in Europe, um, but I mean, I do know that, like what Nielsen was saying, the field sizes uh, of the races over there in general, whether it's the men or the women's races, are typically pretty much. <laughs> way bigger than the field sizes you'd see in the U.S. Um, but I guess over in Europe, I mean, I don't know if it's the same where the men's fields totally overshadow the women's field sizes. I think the women's field sizes are probably pretty, still pretty big. Uh, but yeah, I guess also in terms of like race tactics and things like that, uh, I feel like in the States, like you see tactics on both sides. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's any huge differences or anything that I've really noticed. But yeah, I guess less people, I mean, less women in women's fields, I guess you you don't see as many different things happening just due to the lower field sizes um, as you would in the men's, just generally speaking. So I guess that would be the main difference. Yeah, I, I mean, say. the thing is, women's cycling is very much so in its infancy compared to men's cycling. Um, I mean, obviously there are, you know, a fraction of the women in professional cycling are making as much or making a, uh, living wage compared to the men's Peloton and the men's Peloton. It's, you know, there's, I don't know, just off the top of my head, probably a hundred riders making over, I don't know, 500,000 a year. Um, and, everybody who's in the world tour as um, you know, they're, they're making a pretty good living. So they are dedicating all of their time um, to cycling. And I think in women's cycling, it's still getting to that point and it's been getting better over the past few years uh, with, you know, minimum salaries being implemented, um, which was a really big step forward. Um, But I mean, that only just happened within the past um, one or two years. So um you know, I think we're going to see women cycling grow quite a lot in the next five to 10 years. Um, but because of the fact that, um, historically not, 
you know, there's maybe 50 women in the world tour that were making, you know, a, a livable wage. That's, you know, um, that's enough to make them comfortable with dedicating their lives to the sport. Um, when before a lot of women had to do things on the side and they just couldn't, couldn't train their bodies, um, as well as they could have, if they could just dedicate all their time to cycling. Um, so I think it's going to grow quite a lot, but, um, Mm -hmm. it's still, you know, it's still in its early stages compared to men's cycling. So that kind of bleeds over into every aspect of the sport, whether it's how many training camps, the women's teams do throughout the year, uh, the amount of support they get from sponsors, um, just in terms of money and, and equipment, even, um, cars. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. Like, you know, men's team, we have three tour buses, uh, women's team. They might have maybe one if they're lucky. Um, and you know, a lot of times they don't have as much equipment as the men's team. Um, but all that's just because it's still a, a growing sport and, um, you know, the, the marketability, isn't quite what it is on the men's side yet. Um, but there's definitely a, a growing desire to use women's cycling for marketing. So, um, you can already see in the past few years, the, the rate of growth it's had, but, um, yeah, it's still, still, still growing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for there's sure, yeah. definitely a salary for the United States. Like there is, uh, in like the level. Well, yeah, that's another big discrepancy, I guess. Um, you typically tend to see men getting paid more <laughs> uh, than the women, even in the States. Like, usually, yeah, yeah, teams over in Europe do have that minimum, which is nice. But, um, yeah, mm-hmm. most teams here in the States actually don't have that minimum. Actually, I, I can't think of one team except for maybe EF, which is based in the States, but it is a tour team. So they do have that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, every other team that I can think of that's based in the States is not. Yeah. It's just, if it's a world tour team, like if it's world tour team, they have the minimum salary, but uh, if it's like continental level uh, or below, then um, it's considered, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, it's outside of the UCI's guidelines for what they have to pay the riders. So um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting. There's lots of work to be done. I do love how it's growing. Um, I think, you know, obviously, Shane, you're a huge part of growing that sport as well. And I'm sure lots of kids look up to you. And, um, you know, that's really cool to see that grassroots growth in North America here. Um, you know, of course, all of us are very passionate about the sport of cycling. So, um, you know, very hopeful for the future, um, despite, you know, the current gaps hopefully we can continue to bridge those i mean there are some good steps like you're saying nielsen like uh you know the tour de france is is back finally on the women's side so um you know more and more is is coming um unfortunately it's not the same yet but hopefully hopefully we'll get there yeah um and yeah your your family obviously like i said is is a big part of that um uh, keeping with um the theme of your family there um you know, we talked a bit about your parents uh, earlier, but uh, certainly you guys have continued, I think, that tradition, uh, both of you, um, in terms of the, how active your families are. Um, you know, Shana, uh, your partner, Elianku, uh, of the Buffalo Bills and of Ottawa. I got to throw that in, that great uh, Canadian content, because I, uh, I was raised in Ottawa um, oh, wow. and Mike spent a ton of his time in Ottawa. So we wanted to... Uh, to give that uh, quick shout out, uh, I know he went to school out in Orleans. I was more of a West End guy, uh, <laughs> so maybe a bit okay. of a rivalry there. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's really cool. Also, the home of Mike Woods. That's right. Uh, we got we got a shout out to, to Mikey uh, as well. So, um, <laughs> uh, have have you guys ever ever been to Canada? Yeah, or or to Ottawa I'm- specifically. Yeah, I've been a few times. Um, I think three or four times now. Yeah, first time was oh nice back in fifteen, and then yeah, the latest time I was up there was uh, last February after football season. Um, but we'll hopefully get to go again sometime this year, uh, maybe during these yeah 
PA's this spring, because um, Buffalo is right, literally right below Canada, maybe five hours south yeah. of, yeah. just over five hours south of Ottawa, where his family is. So I think the plan is for us to go up on one of the weekends that we're up there this spring. And uh, Ely actually, his brother just had a baby, so we really want to go up and oh wow, the new baby of the family. <laughs> Nice. Um, oh, awesome. So he's going to have that double uncle duty. Yeah, yeah. So we just want to go and see the baby, see the rest of the family. And yeah, because it's been, it's been a while since we've both been up there together, over a year now. So hmm. yeah, can't wait to get back yeah. up there. Awesome. Very cool. There's great riding uh, on the Quebec side for sure. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been there for what the two months a year, yo sunshine, or uh, what are we talking about here? <laughs> it's cold up there. There's great riding. The rest of the year, there's great. The rest of the year, there's some great riding on the trainer uh, in your basement. Yeah, uh, those are two good months, man. You have some, yeah, yeah. Those, those it's beautiful up there when it's, yeah. when it's when it's when the sun's shining. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and. Uh, yeah, so obviously professional football player, um, your partner Shana and uh, Nielsen. You've been married a little over two years. Um, and your wife Frances is a professional ballet dancer and talented photographer and painter. Uh, Want to give her a shout out to at francisj.com. I know she's got a Brene Brown quote at the top of the webpage. I have a ton of colleagues who would absolutely uh, love that. Uh, so we'll we'll direct uh, everyone to there. Give her a little shout out too. But. Um, yeah, so I just wanted, I was curious, you guys, you know, um, uh, of course, professional cycling, then, you know, pro football, professional dancing. Um, obviously, all of you are very busy and have your own training schedules. You're all over the world. Um, it must be uh, super busy. How do you guys, how do you guys manage that? How do you stay in touch, you know, um, you know, with your partners, with your family, with each other, stuff like that? It must be uh, chaotic at times. It can be, but. Thankfully, we have um, technology to help us out along the way. So every now and then, we'll hop on FaceTime. Um, it's been a real game changer, I think, in terms of communicating with each other overseas. Um, just makes it easier. Um, same thing with, like, Ely and I. Like, I've, we spend a lot of time apart. Like, this past block, we were almost two months apart. So... That was the longest we'd been apart, I think, consecutively since we were in college together. Um, so that was a big one for us. But yeah, we we definitely were able to. I mean, both of us have our crazy busy schedules with training and competing and whatnot. But you know, it's <laughs> you do have to make time to to you know stay connected somehow, right? Especially when you're away from each other for such a long box at a time. Uh, and the same goes with like family in general not just significant others. Like I, I try and do my best with, you know, checking in with family. Um, probably talk to my parents on the phone once a week. <laughs> probably talk to Ely like oh, okay. nice. every day. Um, not necessarily FaceTiming, but just like messaging each other and whatnot. But yeah, it can be hard to navigate with schedules, but got to find the time somehow. Yeah. Technology is great. Um, being able to FaceTime is is pretty pretty great development of the 21st century. Um, we've got you know just, yeah for sure. It's, it's nice to to feel a little bit more connected. It's a little more personal than um, than like traditional uh, you know text messaging or letters or things like that. Um, feel like you can navigate daily life things uh, a lot easier nowadays. Like. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, um, you know, plans for the off season where we're going to have the baby, where Francis wants to, um, have the baby and where we're going to be living in the winter and, um, looking into houses. And this is all everything that I have to do while on the road. Um, so it's, you know, group FaceTime sessions with the realtor, um, friends and family houses for us because we're not going to be able to see them, uh, in person before we, uh, buy one, which is, fun <laughs> um but uh you know it's just uh <laughs> yeah, I can't it's just what we that, uh it's what we have to do and uh it's, you know there's a trade-off for everything it's a great life uh it's a huge passion of of mine and yeah. um it's a really unique lifestyle we get to live and we're very very blessed to be able to chase after our 
our dreams and live this life, um, you know, a life that's not going to last forever. Like at some point we're going to move back to America and um, I won't be a pro athlete anymore. So just have to, you know, manage it the best we can uh, while we have the privilege of, of living this life. So um, it's all about perspective, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And Francis definitely has been um, yeah. really, really great for, for me, especially to stay connected with family and friends and, um, you know, her keeping me sane when I'm on the road for so long. Um, she definitely keeps me grounded. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, FaceTime, um, definitely revolutionized things. And as so many people found out during the pandemic as well, um, so yeah, no, no, great uh, that you guys are able to stay in touch. Um, though I imagine, like I said, it's it's definitely has its challenges, as you guys have mentioned. Um, but like you said, Nielsen, there's that uh, amazing trade-off, which is is a great perspective as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I think we're both pretty lucky. Um, like both of our respective partners, you know, support us in everything that we do, and our whole family does as well. Which we're super blessed mm-hmm. to have. Yeah, we're we're pretty lucky, honestly, with our, with our support system. Yeah, on both sides, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt. Um, on that note, too, uh, Shana, Ellie, and you um, together, uh, you started the Dreamcatcher Foundation. Um, and uh, you know, if if people are looking for that, um, dreamcatchercharity.org online. Um, you guys are on Instagram as well. We'll link everything for, for everyone, of course. Um, but you're dedicated to empowering youth through sport. Um, and the emphasis is on, or emphasis is on indigenous youth. And you guys are also committed to bringing awareness to the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls pandemic that's currently happening across North America. Um, I love to see that work. That's something, um, you know, I, I'm very heavily in, involved with myself through my, my day job. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I try to be the very best ally that I can be, but, um, you know, I, I can't possibly know what it's like, um, to speak from, from an indigenous perspective. So, um, very cool to see that you and Ellie are doing that work. Um, you know, yeah. What, uh, if you wouldn't mind, maybe you could just tell us a little about, about your work with that. Yeah. So, um, the Dreamcatcher Foundation is something that we both started back in 2019, officially. And it was kind of brought about through um, both me and I, but also through the help of uh, some of Ely's football's agents, and then also through this organization <coughs> called Athletes and Causes that partners with pro athletes to <coughs> help them start their own nonprofits. Um, and so they're actually an organization uh, based here in Florida, not not very far from us, here in Jacksonville, over in Tampa, and so. We have a really close relationship with them and they were super awesome in helping us get the whole thing started. And they, they also do a great job with uh, helping us out with all the behind the scenes work with the foundation. Um, But yeah, as you said, the foundation's main goal is to empower native youth through sports such as cycling and football Um, and doing that, you know, or I guess the way we do that is through um, sports camps. So we've hosted a couple different camps, one football, one cycling camp. Our football camp was actually in Ely's hometown of Ottawa in Canada a few years back in 2019. And we had almost 150 kids show up, which was a huge turnout. Um, yeah, so that was, that was the one football camp that we've had. Um, and it was totally free for kids to participate in and um, had a lot of help. <laughs> A lot of local people came out to support. Ely's whole family was there. Um, I helped leading into it, but unfortunately, unfortunately, it was the same weekend as the national champ, so I couldn't go to it that year. Um, but we're hopefully going to plan for another one within the next year or two. Um, it's been kind of tough in the last few years to host another one just because of COVID, especially up in Canada. Course, yeah. And yeah, yeah, just the restrictions up in Canada have been um, pretty tight with that in the last couple of years. But yeah. we're hoping to. We know all about those for sure. <laughs> yeah, we're hoping, hoping to host another one in the next couple of years. But we were able to host a bike rodeo last year in uh, the Seneca Nation near Buffalo uh, last spring, which was a huge success. Ooh. And we were able to donate um, about 100 bikes 
for, for the use from the Seneca Nation, um, along with about the same number of helmets for all the kids. So that was, that was awesome for us to be able to do. Um, you know, we had a lot of support with Ely's team, the Buffalo Bills. You know, there was a lot of staff and players that came together and, and donated for our fundraiser for that. Um, I think we raised close to $10,000 to go towards all the bikes and helmets and the cost involved um, in putting on the event itself. Um, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. And we're, we're hoping to do another uh, donation like that for another reservation, um, maybe in the next year or two as well. Um, other things our foundation does is we just had um, an auction event, an artwork auction event, you know, um, last year, highlighting Native artists, um, with half of the proceeds from that auction going towards um, nonprofits of the Native artists choosing, um, some of who chose to support our foundation. Um, so quite a bit of the proceeds from that actually went towards our organization and then we're donating funds, some of the funds raised from that towards, um, organizations combating the missing and, uh, missing and murdered indigenous girls crisis in North America, which is another thing that our <laughs> foundation aims to shed light on is, um, is that crisis. Um, Native women are actually more than a rate 10 times higher than the national average, which is, um, pretty pretty horrific statistic and um not a lot of people are aware that this is pretty much an epidemic happening within our own country as well as canada and so that's just one another thing that our foundation aims to um shed light on and we do our best to also provide uh funding for organizations that are actively combating that crisis Mm -hmm. yeah no that's it's such important work and um you know, it's so disheartening to see those things. Um, I've been fortunate enough to do some some research and, and report writing and, and work with Indigenous youth and, and families. Um, and uh, it's something that I've always been, you know, a big advocate for and, and fighting for change. And uh, it's great to see you doing such amazing work um, in the same vein. So kudos to you for that and, and for your, your awesome foundation. And to Ellie, it's, it's so uh, inspiring. And um, yeah, we wanted to turn everyone on to that. Um, you know, I said the the site earlier, your website earlier, uh, and the the Instagram is uh, dream underscore catcher underscore fpn. Uh, and like I said, we'll, we'll link everything and then direct everybody there. Yeah. Because um, we we want to support in in any way we can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now. I'm I'm cognizant of the fact that every person's experience and identity is very unique to them, and that can be vastly different for each person. Um, but we're curious about you know what the experience has been for the two of you um, with your indigeneity and your Oneida heritage and being such a prevalent part of of your identity. How has that been growing up? How is it now? Um, you know, have you had to experience any ignorance or racism, discrimination, or, or you know, how, what has it been like? Um, yeah, for me, I, I mean, personally, I haven't had to face any, um, any discrimination, um, any racial discrimination growing up. Um, you know, I think part of what makes, you know, a, a, a good parent is that you always want your kids to have a better life than you had. Um, it's, you know, something that I want for my kids. It's something that our parents always, um, wanted for us growing up because, um, just, you know, hearing stories growing up of what our dad had and growing up in Southern Indiana um, seemed like it was pretty um, tough on him at times. So being able to grow up in an environment, um, you know, facilitated by our, by our parents where, um, you know, we, we faced little to no discrimination growing up. It, It was a really amazing thing. And just being able to take that as part of our identity without, um, without facing any, um, any, yeah, any racial discrimination at all on my part. So, um, I was just very proud to, um, to, to recognize myself as an indigenous, um, you know, member of an indigenous people and, um, being able to, to visit family on the reservation just helps to, um, grow that identity within you. So, um, being able to have that as part of our identity was, um, 
was really great growing up and we were in a really awesome environment too growing up in california um where the sun shines seemingly every day of the year um <laughs> and you can chase after your thank um, you for rubbing that in yeah. <laughs> you can chase after whatever sporting endeavor you want um and yeah we we definitely grew up hearing stories about what it was like for our um for our dad and for other members of our tribe growing up um which helped us to appreciate how um how how comfortable we were able to live um you know we weren't we weren't you know very super wealthy um but you know our parents did um you know giving us the support that we we needed to chase after the dreams we had mm-hmm. we are very lucky with, you know our our childhood how we were raised and the family that that we have you know it's definitely not something that we ever take for granted and another thing i mean nielsen touched on it but yeah we it, we did make frequent trips you know i think it was usually during the summer when we had time off from school we'd, we'd make trips to um, our family on the reservation um out out in oneida wisconsin which is right next to green bay and um i think that was a really great way for us to maintain that connection um, with our culture whether it was you know through going to the annual tribal powwow on Oneida, um, which was always something that we really enjoyed. And it was a great way for us to, you know, stay, have that connection to our culture, being able to see all the different, you know, tribal dances, um, being able to um, see our, you know, our family on our dad's side that are all Oneida, um, including um, our grandparents that lived on actually the Stockbridge Reservation, which was another reservation near Oneida. Um, so yeah, we always enjoyed going back there, you know, getting to participate in some different traditions that, uh, you know, just helped reinforce that, that connection to our culture and, um, you know, that, that part of our family. So yeah, it was, it was always something that we never, we never take, we never took for granted. And, um, I I'd say we are definitely due for another family trip to go back to Oneida at some point nice. to visit family and, yeah maybe go to the powwow again because I, I do always love going to powwows. I think they're one of the coolest experiences anyone um, can get to go through. So yeah, definitely looking mm-hmm. forward to another visit out there. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, such a cool experience. And, uh, um, you know, for, for me, um, I was lucky enough to some of my education post-secondary uh, was taught um, by indigenous elders. Um, so I was very, very grateful for that and, um, you know, completely revolutionized my perspective and my relationship with, with the land and with the earth. Um, has that for you guys, has that found its way into, um, cycling at all? I know, or has that shaped your perspective on and off the bike? I know, um, like we said, cycling is such a unique sport in that you get to see so much of, of the land itself. Um, so I was just curious about that. Yeah, I would say so. Like, also, I guess touching on, um, you know, reservation life. Like, you don't really see a lot of like other native native athletes out there riding bikes, um, especially you know at the level that that Nielsen and I are at. Um, I mean, I know there's there's been a couple. Um, I've met a couple other native athletes. One also being another Ida um, Cole House, who was a professional for many years. Um, but yeah, just generally speaking, we don't, we don't see a lot of native kids, you know, on like on bike teams or racing bikes in general. Um, you know, I've I've been to you know not just Oneida, but I've been to a few other reservations out there, and you know, a lot of a lot of these native reservations are in you know, very very rural places with not a lot of access to certain things, like <laughs> you know, not a lot of things like you know bikes, bike shops. Um, just because of the fact that they're just way out super rural areas uh, with not a lot of resources, not a lot of money to, you know, go out and even get bikes. So I think that the, the fact that we were able to have, you know, the best access possible to, to bikes and sports in general, you know, it's not something that we take for granted at all, especially, you know, being native, being native athletes. Um, we are one of that, that half percent, I guess, but, ended up where we're at in terms of professional sports uh, you know i i guess you could even argue that native athletes are the most 
underrepresented demographic in sports in general, not just cycling, but across all sports. So, you know, that's, that's kind of something that we also strive to do through our foundation is just to help inspire, you know, the next generation of athletes to get into sports. It doesn't have to be cycling, it doesn't have to be football, but we just want to do what we can to, you know, help inspire um, and make it a little bit easier for, for Native youth to have access to, to sports. Um, and that's partly why we wanted to do the, uh, the fundraiser to um, do the bike donation um, and then also do camps and things like that just to, you know, help inspire that next generation. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, it's, it's obviously it's, it's a sport just like anything else in life, right? Like it, it mirrors or it's reflective of everything that goes on in society. And, you know, systemic oppression is still very much a real thing. And we live in, a, in North America in a colonial system um, that is, you know, designed to, to continue that oppression. And, um, you know, people actively fighting against that, like, you know, the great work that, uh, that you guys do. Um, is is just one of the ways that we can combat that. Um, so, like I said, you can't say you say kudos enough to to you guys for all that great work. Thank you, appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Um, so, another thing, um, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from, or um, you know what walk of life you're in anybody can pull on a cycling kit um and you know lots of the the native youth i'm sure are looking up to you guys wanting to pull on those kits that, that you guys are wearing um which must be very cool uh experience for you guys um we wanted to to give a shout out to uh our friends at the cycling fashion week podcast but um you guys have both had the opportunity to wear a number of kits now um, you know, Legion, Yamo Visma, EF, uh, all that type of stuff. We're um, wondering if you guys like a classic uh, minimal kit or something very loud. You know, Mike and I are big fans of, you know, the, the Palace collabs that EF does and that yes. type of stuff. So what's, what's your take on cycling fashion there? <laughs> I'm all for a sleek design. Um, I love a flashy kit, only if it's done well. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't like to be loud just for the sake of being loud. Um, I right. like what Rafa has done in the past. Um, that's not to say that I'm a fan of every loud kit, but uh, the Rafa kits have been pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, they sort of, you know, I think there's going to be, you know, Rafa always has something in the works. So, um, you know, whether it's Giro kit uh, or you know one year on one year off with the crazy kit design with them. So, um, yeah, I'm sure next year will be a, uh, flashy year again. Um, but I think when I retire, I'll be on the, uh, more classic, simple design. <laughs> I, I would say I agree with that. Like I do, I tend to like more of the simple classic, Type style design with kits. Um, there was a kit that I that I wore through it when I was on uh, back when I was in 2024 a couple years ago. And um, at that time, I think it was in 2021, <laughs> we didn't have any logos or anything on the kits for maybe the first half of the season, just because our new kits like hadn't come in yet for that year. Um, oh, okay. That was probably some of, some of the best kits I've ever worn. Like it was super simple, like just <laughs> like. <laughs> solid color for the bibs and you know the jerseys and long sleeve jerseys and yeah i just it was a lot of blue too and my favorite color is blue so um yeah that's probably my favorite kit to date just with how simple and classic it was um but yeah i'm not i'm not other than that i'm not too picky with kits i mean i've kind of liked every kit that i've uh ridden in over the years except for maybe with the exception of one year and i'm gonna say which year uh, but yeah, other than that, yeah, I think they've all been pretty, pretty cool. There's nothing like a logo to destroy a kit as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I work with a, a local UCI team in Toronto, and um, the kits are always beautiful at inception, and then they're like, "Well, this is the new sponsor, and then this one's needs to go here." And by the time you've got to the end of it, it just looks like um, 
I'm not sure if you're familiar with God and Famous, but they, they did some kits where they just threw every possible logo they could on it um, to, to make it look <laughs> as chaotic as possible. Pretty much every Italian <laughs> team ever. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow they still look cool. They're just the Italians for you. Yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, keeping with the theme of, of North American here, I, I always hear among the team that crits are the way forward and, and the way to grow American the American cycling scene. What's your take on that? Do you, do you feel like that's the way forward? I mean, to a degree, yes. I think. I mean, crits are super easy to watch, of course. Always, like, fast throughout. Um, you know, it's way different than typical road races where you only see people come through on the lap once or twice or maybe a few times max um so yeah i think it it definitely appeals to the american audience here and um yeah i mean it is it is very fun racing as well i mean i myself love competing in pits um that's kind of primarily what i did throughout last year being on legion um and i i do see it as a great way to 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 grow the sport here um especially with you know the fact that a lot of big road races and stage races here in the U.S. have disappeared. Uh, on the other hand, you do see you do see a lot of crits across the country, and I, I don't think that those are going away anytime soon. Um, and usually, you do see quite a good turnout at, at races that have crits. Um, I mean, in the past, I've done stage races where the crit day was always the day where you saw the most spectators come out and watch. Um, for obvious reasons. I mean, it's, it's always the easiest day to watch for most people. So, yeah, I, I do see it as a great way to, to continue to grow the sport in the U.S. Although I would I would really love to see a lot of the big road races and stage races come back, um, such as sure, California. Yeah, yeah I would always, say. That was always the um, biggest one and my favorite race date that I've done in the States. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. There was a slight delay there. Um, <laughs> um, but no, I would say, yeah, crits and gravel, especially. Um, I think gravel is like yeah. something that I've I've only done once. I uh, raced Big Sugar Gravel two years ago. Um, and that was one of the most fun days I've ever had on a bike, even though I finished 10 minutes behind from flats and mechanicals and whatnot. Nice. Um, but <laughs> it's not often in cycling where you finished 10 minutes down and you felt like you had the day of your life. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's pretty, sure. there's something very, you know, there's so much to be said for that alone. Um, and crits, I think it's, it's, it's super cool if they can, you know, start having more city crits where, um, where people can, can see, spectate, uh, like just see not only the, you know, athletic performance that the races are showing, but also just, um, you know, showing how, how marketable it can be. If you have eyes on all the racers on all these laps they're doing, you only have to close down about a mile of road. So it's pretty, uh, it's pretty, um, I don't know, financially stable. Um, so I think if they can, you know, bring back the twilight crits, for example, I think that can definitely catch on in America. If, uh, if they can make those happen again, I feel like those were always such a spectacle. Um, but Mm -hmm. a little bit wild for my taste but super fun to watch. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know, maybe American cycling needs a little bit more of that, a little bit more of the hardcore, um, you know, high octane racing to, to get them used to the high octane racing in Europe. Um, but uh, no, I think, yeah, between criteriums and gravel races, I mean, there are definitely pathways to, to developing American cycling. Um, I think they just have to, you know, use the opportunities that are being presented. Like if there's opportunities to race gravel, um, pour into that, just try to use that as, um, a way to train and race and compete on your bike. Um, cause at the end of the day, cycling can transition, um, at whatever point you are in life, gravel can transition into cycle cross, cycle cross can transition into road, road can transition into mountain bike. I mean, there's just, uh, you know, they're, they can be interchangeable if you do it right. Um, so I think if, mm-hmm. as long as some form of cycling is growing in the U S there's, there's hope for, um, you know, a pathway to Europe. I, yeah. this could be a... 
I myself have done a lot of interchanging, you know, between the disciplines. You know, I yeah, not bike or Nielsen as well. Um, and then both transitioned to road two years, you know, after we entered into the junior ranks. Um, and then, you know, I went from that to racing primarily gravel a couple of years ago. And then uh, during the pandemic, it was all about Swift and occasionally gravel, like zero road racing. <laughs> And then got back into road racing, I guess, last year, and then raced primarily crits. And then this year, it's it's back to more more road and stage racing with the occasional crit thrown in. And maybe one day I will get, I will get back into gravel because, um, as Nielsen mentioned, it is I think a great way for you know the sport to grow um, in the U.S. because it's it's honestly exploded in the last couple of years mm-hmm. and I think especially since the pandemic um it's really cool to see the diversity also in the world of gravel you know we have everyone from beginner to the pro level you know showing up to these big events in the U.S. and it's really cool to see that and even with like mass start uh the mass start uh at these events it's, it's pretty awesome to see everybody just like together you know, racing together. It's really awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. And like you're saying, there seems to be more of an emphasis on on fun and it seems like more of a a welcoming environment and and that can only breed, you know, more people getting involved, right? So um, more people on bikes is is always a good thing and fun is is always a good thing. So yeah, no, that's that's super cool. Good good insights from you both. Um, I like that take. Um, before we, we wrap up with some quick fire questions, I just wanted to ask one more question with both of you still in your prime. Um, are there any accolades or uh, big wins you're looking or, or goals in the future that you're looking to add to your resume um, with the next few years coming up? Um, yeah, uh, this coming Sunday, I've got the Tour of Flanders. The Ronde yeah. van Vlaanderen, so that's uh, that'll be my most immediate big goal. Uh, if I can win a monument, that would pretty much make my entire career. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's there's that one coming up pretty soon. Um, yeah, Liège, Liège Bastogne, Liège is another monument, and uh, you know next month that's going to be another big goal. That'll be my last big goal for the spring, um, and then World Championships. Um, been you know in the mix in the running for uh not only a podium but for a win as well in the past two years so um it's always a a really big goal of mine cool um i would like to hmm, well i guess for this year i would love to win the national champs uh road race uh got close to the podium by like six seconds last year so i think winning it is a good goal for me for this year um and then more in terms of long-term goals i'd love to be able to make the olympic team on the track for team pursuit uh, and then also get a medal in uh paris next year on the track um and i think with the team that we have the potential to uh put together for that next year i think that that could be very feasible goal so yeah those are kind of my two big goals the next two years <laughs> nice nice yeah that's awesome wow well uh we certainly wish both of you the the very best of luck with all of that and obviously we'll we'll be watching and uh cheering for you guys um living maybe a little vicariously through you, you two as well <laughs> um yeah no, that's great yeah um all right so we'd like to wrap it up with a few uh rapid fire questions if that's all right with you guys yeah we we didn't right. coordinate this but i guess both shout at the same time or take it take in turns <laughs> uh, i'll just let i'll let i'll let shana uh answer first and then i'll just follow her follow up with follow her oh, yeah, immediately yeah. after okay. good good plan i like it all right <laughs> Mike, the first one away. yeah uh road mountain bike track or gravel track <laughs> Road. Nice. Uh, crit or stage race? Stage race. Stage race. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, dogs or cats? 
Yeah. Dogs. <laughs> uh, best post ride meal. Burrito. Burrito. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like copying now. <laughs> uh, favorite place to ride. <laughs> favorite place to ride. Alps. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lake Tahoe. California. Um, who who wins uh, in a head to head triathlon with you? Nielsen. Right now, I don't. Man, I might break myself before I finish. It's so busy. You get me on the bike for sure. Yeah. If I if I uh, if I survive the run, maybe me. <laughs> Well, I want to do that too somehow. I don't even know if I could make it to one. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your, your favorite pump-up song? Oh, man, I've got so many. Anything rock. Uh, there's a lot of reggaeton in the bus. Uh, I've got a lot of Colombian teammates. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a particular one at the moment, but yeah, anything like rock or hip hop. Nice. We can get on board with that. Um, is there any show or out there that you're streaming these days or, or favorite show? Ted Lasso. Jimmy Thrones is my favorite. Nice. Nice. <laughs> good answers. Good answers. Um, one non-living thing that you could live without. That we couldn't live without? That's what yeah. I meant to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, toothbrush. <laughs> uh, man. AirPods. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. Last one we got for you guys. Who is your hero? Mom and dad. Or heroes. Parents. Yeah. Nice. Solid. That's a Can't very wholesome way to end it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, no, well, thank you uh, both so, so much for taking the time. I know you're incredibly busy um, and in the middle of uh, some prime racing. So like I said, uh, we, we really appreciate uh, everything and, and all your, your insights and uh, uh, chatting with us today. And we wish you both the very best of luck on the rest of this season and in the future. And we look forward to, to watching. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much. Yeah. Thank you. You guys have a great it's been day. A ton of fun. Uh, we'll go finish our coffees and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you later on. All righty. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thanks a lot. Take care, guys. See you.